to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals like you who are on their journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts and growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and tragedy that you've experienced. Hi, I'm Tom Pasello, your host. I'm a growth evangelist as well as a fellow widower, uh, having lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, uh, when she was only 50 years old. Um, my guest today, our first guest, is Chris Ice. And uh, Chris, he lost his wife, Mary Kay, when she was young as well, only 54 years old. And he said goodbye to his bride of 32 years, mother of their seven children, after a five-year battle with breast cancer. During the disease and the fight uh, and the aftermath, Chris served as the CEO and president of Ava Maria University, and he was also, before that, CEO of Catholic Charities of Kansas City St. Joseph. All of this while the disease fight and aftermath, handling family duties, trying to hold it all together. Uh, this podcast, uh, we got Chris as our first guest, is going to explore the story of Mary and Chris, first and foremost, challenges Chris faced in maintaining leadership roles while also caring for his wife and family. And uh, it's basically a story of how to dig deep to find and leverage leadership amid tragedy and loss. Chris Ice, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Tom. Yes. I always love origin stories, and I really want to know, how did you and Mary Kay meet? Uh, we met in college. Actually, the first day uh, she arrived at college, I was a junior. She was a freshman, and um, I had my antennas up uh, for the new incoming freshman. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and actually, um, I was coming out of the gymnasium, and her mother was the one that introduced us. She, I had a, uh, she was from Nebraska. I had a Nebraska shirt on, and she made the comment, "Hey, there's somebody from Nebraska." And we were in Kansas at the time, so. Mm-hmm. That's how we, we met. And from there, it, it fast forward four more years, and uh, we were married and married happily for 32 years. So I love that. I love how um, fortuitous uh, in hearing origin stories things are that you chose to wear that Nebraska shirt that day. And also how <laughs> delicate it is, right. right? How, well, what if? What if you didn't wear that Nebraska shirt? Sure, and mom right. didn't notice you right out of the crowd. Although I still might have been able to find her. Yeah, you stand six foot three, so right. I think that's how tall you that's are. Right. So you're you're noticeable regardless. Well, that's right. We were both athletes in college. We were working out in the same gymnasium frequently as well. So yeah. So as you said, a few years later, only four years, right? You got married. So right after she graduated college, that's and correct. You spent the next several decades just building a great relationship and a large family. Talk about yes. that. Yeah. Well, I, I, I was initially started as an assistant college baseball coach, and then I was um, recruited into the commercial insurance world uh, to where I had a long uh, career with that, about 23 years, uh, moving up through the executive ranks. And uh, But, but uh, you know, again, Having seven children, it was also a challenge because as you move up, the travel becomes more daunting and 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 required, if you will. And so she was very um, willing um, to help. She was a stay-at-home mom, took care of the kids. So that was that served 
what I needed from the respect of my career, mm-hmm. and that uh, we worked well together in that respect. Um, so after many years of those insurance, uh, great years, and making a lot of money, I, I made a decision to really just start spending more time with the family. And um, so I stepped back. I took a job with the university out of Ohio and helped them build a, uh, a fundraising division, which led to me becoming the CEO of Catholic Charities and eventually the president of Ave Maria University. But, but through all of that, um, you know, you have your ups and downs, your challenges, but uh, it, it was a great partnership in that respect. Um, we each kind of served our own roles, um, but as you mentioned earlier, she had cancer. With that hit, that changed a lot of dynamics. I think it was, as you said, fortuitous early in our life. It was fortuitous also at the time where I had already stepped down from my executive career when the cancer came because I was ready and prepared to be able to take care of her in a greater way. Yeah. And, Chris, I had not, right? I was still running my company, uh, yeah. responsible for 20-some-odd families uh, besides my own uh, yeah. as founder and CEO of the company. Right. I was on the road all the time, and it made it really, really difficult. Yeah. So. So good that you were able to be there and, and be home for it. Tell us a little bit about when Mary Kay first got diagnosed, and I think she had breast cancer, correct? What what was that like? That's correct. Tell us when you got the initial diagnosis. Well, it was it was the initial diagnosis was a was a shock because she was not someone who should have ever had cancer to begin with. She had no family history of cancer. Her mother, her sister, no nowhere that we could find. Um, she was under 50, so that those were markers. She never took a contraceptive. She never had an abortion. She never, all these things that lead typically to um, breast cancer or could. Um, she had none of the signs or markers. She exercised every day. Mm-hmm. She ate healthy. She was not overweight. <laughs> it was one of those. It's like why? Why her? Yeah. Why, and or she said, "Why me?" <laughs> Um, she questioned God on that a lot of times. And so, you know, it was not ours to question at the time. It was it was for me to help her navigate the the, the huge medical, um, uh, all the stuff that comes out of cancer patient when it's uh, brand new. And I had a great employer that allowed me to really step in and to make the time that I needed to help her focus and to find the right care and the right doctors and to navigate that whole system. But... But initially, we had um, she went through everything. She had uh, 16 rounds of chemo. This is 2015. She had um, uh, the she had radiation. She had surgery, the whole works, and um, we thought we were in the clear at the end of middle of 2016, and uh, you know lived cancer free for a couple more years before it came back. But that was the initial um, cancer diagnosis—a shock because it was not something that we thought that she would ever have in that respect. So. Yeah. It, I remember that when Judy got it, she did have a family history. So it wasn't um, yeah. completely unexpected. Unfortunately, her mom has had it. Um, aunts have had it. So, but um, you mentioned how the medical system all of a sudden throws so much at you and it really is overwhelming. You know, they try their darndest to try to make sure that you understand what's going on and everything. And I remember reading the book Emperor of All Maladies to try to get up to speed and just start to consume all kinds of care books because, 
you know, I don't know if, if you're like me, I think you are where it's like, you know, as the man, you're the solver, right? You're exactly. you immediately go into business mode almost, right? And it's like, okay, there's a, here's a problem. Let's, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to get you the best care, the best this, the best that? And, um, and I think that's, you know, and that's important for, for a, um, you know, person going through a serious illness like that to have someone to help navigate everything. And that's that you got to have a, a role in that respect. And that was what it was for me. And it, um, boy, oh boy, I, uh, it, it was overwhelming to her. You know, she couldn't, all she could hear was the C word. That was yeah. it. I mean, yeah. nothing else. She couldn't function, you know, hearing everything. And, and, and chemo was, you know, she never put anything unnatural in her body, her whole married life, her whole mm-hmm. married life. I never saw it. And to think that, um, you know, that she was going to put chemotherapy and she at first vowed never to do it, but then she mm-hmm. said, I don't have an option. Yeah. And uh, we looked at different things, but yeah, it was just, uh, it was every, every chemotherapy was a, a major, um, I don't know what you call it. Uh, we had to go through mental health counseling. <laughs> yeah. yeah trauma. I mean, it's trauma. Yeah. You're poisoning your body. I remember the, the chemo that we got for Judy. Uh, one was a derivative of mustard gas. And the other was a tree bark poison, essentially, that the Native Americans in the Seattle kind of Pacific Northwest used yeah. to kill wild game. And that's that's basically it. And then radiation, that's another poison. So they're all. Yeah, they're I don't remember. I, I just remember they called. Yeah, they called her first four treatments the Red Devil. That's oh. how bad it was. It, yeah, that's uh, good. it was nasty. And you can imagine it did. It just turned everything red. It was bad. And, um, and yeah, made her yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, enough. And it's that. a long, you know, it, it was a, a long battle. And unfortunately, just like my beautiful Judy, you know, Mary Kay did lose that battle, unfortunately. Tell us about, tell us about her passing. Tell us about those last couple of days and, and last couple of well, hours. Yeah, it was really kind of unexpected. You know, the, the, the cancer came back in uh, April of 19. Um, and, uh, and they said it was a different type of cancer. I, you know, that's to be speculated a little bit, but we, again, you're not questioning. You just got to go back into that triage mode at that mm-hmm. point. So she went through chemo again, um, came out of that. Um, and then in um, December of 19, we or late November, we discovered that it metastasized into the brain. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a brain tumor. And actually, they, at that time, they they said it did not. It was, they said it was separate, but I, I question that today. Yeah. Ours, um, we got that separate diagnosis as well. That it was actually a separate type of cancer. It was not breast cancer. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They, so we ended up, uh, they removed the tumor out of her brain. It's about the size of a golf ball. And all, I had accepted the position as university president at the time. And they they assured me and everyone else that everything was good. Um, and so you know, we could make move forward with the plans to do that. And she was going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Well, Two weeks after we moved to Florida, um, we're from Kansas City. Um, she wasn't feeling well, so we put her in the hospital, and we found, um, after lots of a lot of tests, um, they found that she had microscopic cancer cells within her spinal fluid and and brain fluid. And uh, once we discovered that, she passed away within two days. So it was quite a quick discovery and shock. You know, some you look back and go, "What shouldn't have been." But it was, I had no no real idea. We thought she was going to be, maybe get through this or at least have chemo and have some time, three to six months, and it didn't happen. 
So, and that literally, Chris was two weeks after you all had relocated. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. She wow. never unpacked a box in the house when we moved. Uh -huh. yeah. I'm so sorry. How yeah. how many were all the kids living at home, or had some already gone off to school? I had four at home still. Okay. And uh, so yeah, two two my my four youngest, and uh, yeah, so that was um, they, you know had a lot of help initially, but eventually my two older sons one went to college, the other one, you know, I encouraged him. He was in his early 20s. I said, you know, you really don't think you have to be a caregiver here. Mm -hmm. You have to get on with your own life, and Dad has to figure it out. And um, so I think a little bit reluctantly he did it, but it was best for him and because um, he loved taking care of his younger siblings and some of that. But uh, maybe so then, then I was left with the two girls and um, trying to run a university um, and manage the home. Um, even though I had a lot of support from the local community, it was difficult at best. And when I saw the continued decline of my girls in respect of the trauma, mm -hmm. um, I said, "I something's got to happen here." And then, and again, uh, I just I found an opportunity and a window to step away from the university, and did so um, in July of twenty one. So now, uh, probably a lot like me after the passing, you know, I had to get back to work. Um, the company was failing. Yeah. Um, there were those 20 families relying on me. My girls were still relying on me. Talk about yeah. your kind of dive back into that, because I think when we have spoken prior, you talked about how you really did almost as an escape kind of dive back into work, right? Yeah. Yeah, I really did. It, it was, um, I, you know, if you recall in 2020, what was going on in the spring, it was called a global pandemic. And there's a lot of pressure to, you know, make decisions immediately on what you're going to do. And everything was coming at you daily. It was changing. And we had to decide, you know, I, I stepped off the airplane um, from burying my wife in Nebraska. And they were already asking me, they being our, the board, you know, we got to have a decision. Are you going to have the campus open in the fall or not? Are we, you know, what's going on? Yeah. And I, you know, I'm supposed to be on a six week bereavement leave. And um, so I made the decision then on faith to keep the campus open. And, um, you know, and I said, we're going to do it in person. And if we need to do some virtually for whatever purposes we can, uh, you know, as ill professor, immune compromised student, whatever they may be. And um, but yeah, so all those decisions were coming, and then we had lots of other things that just didn't stop. And even though I was trying to have bereavement, I didn't have time to really grieve um, the way I probably needed to. Mm -hmm. um, but again, what do you do? I mean, it takes time. Grieving doesn't just last. You can't put a time frame on it. Some people can make it six months. Some people can make it maybe a month. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Others take years to recover, yeah. and it's all okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that there's a lot of expectations sometimes on us uh, with timelines. Well, it's, yeah. um, you know, six months, you should be done grieving. Um, it's a year, yeah. you should be out dating again. You know, I mean, there's all of these kind of expectations from the community and expectations from friends and family, and everyone's different. You know, uh, there are people I know who did get a lot of the grieving out of the way during the illness. Um, 
and they're able to yes. move on perhaps a little bit quicker in certain ways. There are others, and Chris, I'm, I'm a lot like you, where I threw myself into my work, and I really don't think I addressed the grieving process at all. So, you know, four and a half, five years later, uh, you'll pass me in a coffee shop, and I'll be writing or doing something, and you know, the tears are coming down and, you know, I feel like I'm right back there in the battle or right back into whatever the sadness is. And so I'm proof point that there is no timeline. Five years later, I still, something still feels so raw and so unaddressed in a lot of ways. That's, that's a normal behavior, a normal emotion. So Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the things I think that, you know, as, as I got to learn your story, and uh, see some interviews that you've done, your spirituality. And that's something <laughs> that I did not have. Uh, I had it when I was young, kind of lost it as an adult, and didn't really get back until in, in a passionate way until maybe six, eight months ago. And so throughout the whole disease process and battle and, and passing, it just wasn't a part of my life. It wasn't something I could rely upon. And, and I looked at your story and said, wow, what a almost a superpower that you had to be able to leverage mm. that spirituality and the comfort that, that, that God t Tell us a little bit about that. Well, God is a superpower. I will say that <laughs> <laughs> he's our creator. <laughs> so I, was, I am nothing without him. And, uh, you know, but, but yeah, that, that was the guiding light for me was my faith, you know, my faith in Christ, um, faith in God, that there was something better there, that that what happened with my wife, you know, um, was meant to be for her life. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, we are all destined. We're all destined for heaven or hell. I firmly believe that. And and so, you know, the goal should be heaven. And uh, so if that's the goal and that's where we're going to live in eternity, our life is but a speck of dust in, a, in eternity. Mm -hmm. And so. I try, I've always tried to focus on that. My goal is to get all my kids to heaven. And my wife went there much quicker than what I would have desired here on earth. And once it happened, it's like you said, I relied back on my faith and my prayer life to say, okay, God, this is your will. I don't like it. No one likes suffering. Uh, but in that suffering, I hope to grow in a way that I can be greater for him or greater for others. Um, and you know, ultimately that those others, you know, we, sometimes we look to, could it be for Tom? You know, uh, I look to my own family I say, mm -hmm. am I doing more for the university or more for my own family? If I say, you know, it's my faith, my family and my work <laughs> in that order, um, then I was skipping a beat with my family and that's where I needed to step back and say, okay, I got the faith is in order. I haven't lost that. I never did. Um, it's not easy. But I, I, I didn't lose that. And then I said, if it's if I truly am going to need to take care of my two daughters who are young, and they were, um, you know, 12 and 14 at the time of uh, my wife's passing. I'm sorry, 11, 11 and 14. And, um, you know, it's a matter of, um, okay, it's time to step back and help. And, and ultimately, my other children, too. I shouldn't just exclude them because they were older. They needed it, too. In fact, my son, who's now 19, one of them, he made a comment to him the other day, two years later. He said, Dad, sometimes... Since so I haven't been home, it only feels like she's been gone about five months. Yeah. And so he's in a different grieving stage of his process, you know, where when he comes home, he's has to reprocess things, you know, that um, 
maybe the girls aren't processing or me either. So when we moved on from something, he may look at a picture and go, oh, my. You know, so. That's yeah, different, and bring different it all thing. back but again. That, that's, that's where my faith played in. I just kept praying. I never um, stopped. Um, and um, that's what, I, gosh, I don't know where I'd be without my faith. It's the guiding light in the midst of the chaos that's going on. Yeah, so. yeah. And like I said, envious in a way that you you found you had that guiding light and you found it because I really did feel, yeah. you know, I threw myself into my work. I always had that identity as men. You know, a lot of us put a lot into Absolutely. our work identity, our work personas. Right. Um, but I did not yeah. have that overall guiding light, and I felt lost in a lot of ways. Um, and so yeah. awesome that you had that. Now, I know you had said, you know, one of the big things that that you're mission, your purpose is to make sure that you get to heaven, but that all of your children get to heaven. Um, How do you you work on that? How have you worked on that through a period where many of them, and I know my daughters have to be in this boat too, where they had a question, you know, why my mom? Mom was amazing. She helped so many people. She had um, other cancer victims that she would take care of. Um, Why her? And they've got to be questioning their faith a lot of times too. So how, how do you make sure that they are going to be on that good path or at least set up for that good path to, to be with you in heaven? Well, I think, I think God helped me a little bit in preparation. Um, there was a book many years ago, probably 20, 25 years ago, written by Dr. James Dobson. It's called uh, When God Doesn't Make Sense. <laughs> and it's about, you know, we have all these tragedies in the world and we're, you know, why is God, allowing this and why does he uh why did he just step in you know but you know life is a lot about decisions and choices that we make mm-hmm. and and so god allows us complete freedom he loves us so much he gives us that freedom to make choices even if it is walking away or turning away from him and so what i do is i try to relate to my kids as best i can um my my earthly fatherly role to them as god would be um, teach them. Not nowhere near perfect by that means, but but when I make those decisions, and when my kid gets into trouble, um, you know, I can give them advice, but I can't force them to make decisions that I like. Mm-hmm. So you have to give them that freedom to make those decisions, and then they have to suffer the consequences for those choices, whether good or bad. Yeah. And so I've watched some of my children suffer in that respect, and then I relate myself to God, the Father, and go. Wow, um, he allows us to do the same darn stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why I, I, love, I love referring to him as father because I think now that I, you know, my daughters are almost raised, the lessons are there. Like you said, he lets us fail. He lets us he go us. awry sometimes so we can learn the lesson. Yeah, and so so I think as our kids, you know, hopefully we've given them a foundation when they were younger. Mm-hmm. Of, of maybe a prayer life or relying on God, maybe it's scripture, you know, it doesn't matter what faith, you know, necessarily. It could be Jewish or, you know, I, I don't know a lot about the Muslim faith, but same type of thing. Um, you know, so, so I think all of that, especially in Christianity, you're given that foundation. And then I just have to pray for them that if they stray, that they'll come back. And I will mm-hmm. say that some of my children have. And they have come back. And then, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe sometimes within a tragedy, you know, people will change their life. And so if with my wife's passing, 
could that be a you know catalyst for them to come back to their Christian roots and their faith to be able to say you know to get closer to heaven? I don't know. Yeah. You know. Um, again, my kids have made that choice. It's not easy. Um, you know, praise God, they're all still you know practicing their Christian faith, and uh, it's it's a beautiful thing to watch. But again, it's a constant reminder. And as I remind my girls, I don't stop talking about mom. I talk about her all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to recall the great memories. And we laugh and we, you know, because I think sometimes if we don't talk about it, they're still thinking about what we talk about. And then I relate to, you know, let's pray. You know, can we pray for your day? And your mom's close to you. The veil between heaven and earth is thin. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we we firmly... um, I mean, that's that's our walk in faith is that, you know, the soul and the body are one on mm-hmm. earth. And when the soul, the spirit leaves the body, it's still alive. It mm-hmm. never stops. So, yeah. Now, Chris, as as you were talking, you know, making sure that you're talking about Mary still, making sure she's a part of particularly special events. I know one of the mistakes that I made was not talking about it. You know, not almost acting as if, you know, she just happens to not be here, but not mentioning that she's not here during a special event yeah. or holiday or a Thanksgiving, in particular, one Thanksgiving comes to mind. Um, yeah. Talk about that a little bit and how you try to get through, you know, just every day or special holidays, special occasions by kind of making them a part of it still. Yeah. Yeah, we do. We do talk. Um, and have memories, you know, try to, you know, the good memories of of, of her on those particular holidays. Because, um, well, again, whether we, you know, like it or not, I said like it or not, it's, it's part of my kids. It's, it's who they are. Yeah. Her mom is a big part of their life. She homeschooled all of them to a certain point. You know, oh, wow. so, so she's a big part. So we celebrate her birthday. And what I've done on her birthday the last two years <laughs> is we fix her favorite meal you know, for the family and then serve a dessert that she would never eat because she didn't like sugar, but we do it in jest to have fun and to laugh. Mom would never eat these brownies, you know, <laughs> but we're going to serve them anyway. I love it. Because we all want cake on her yeah. birthday. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, particularly difficult um, or maybe a little more difficult is Mother's Day, um, especially, you know, because everybody's celebrating Mother's Day for their moms. Mm-hmm. And my kids, you know, people are, you know, like at school, my daughter, hey, can, you want to make something for your mom? Oh, yeah. Yeah, not able to, you yeah. know. Um, and they're, everybody's talking about those type of memories, right? And that, so that just, that escalates. That's a diff, more difficult one. It um, is. Because her graveside isn't close. And yeah. so all we can do, we talked about on Mother's Day, I had all the kids, um, I sent out a text and said, I think I said something about giving the, uh, your favorite memory of your mom back and sharing some of those. So oh, I was trying good. not to, again, not to ignore it, but to celebrate her life as best we can. So, yeah, absolutely love it. Now, one of the things we talked about was spirit, but I always like to talk about body and mind as well through the healing process. Talk about some of the things that you've done there and how that's been important to your personal healing process and your growth from this. Um, as far as my own, uh, well, I, yeah. So when I was going through it, my my um, 
Yeah, I gained a lot of weight. <laughs> Me too. Uh, if that's what you're referring to. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and again, it's just I couldn't, it was only so much you could do. And that was one thing I just, um, you know, you're working and trying to be at the hospital and you're you're grabbing stuff on the run. And, yeah. and during the global pandemic, I was hiding out in her room, actually, at a doctor that allowed me in so I could be with her. So now I'm eating hospital food as best I can. I couldn't mm-hmm. even go to the cafeteria. I was locked in the room. Mm-hmm. So she would share her food, <laughs> um, if you can imagine. Um, but anyway, we um, um, but through all that, I gained weight. And then, so once I was over, I went back. I started. I started getting physically, you know, exercising again. Um, I started, uh, you know, reading a little bit more, getting the mind, and getting mm-hmm. myself kind of refocused. Um, you know, the work, um, all of that. So my diet, you know, those type of things. That's so important, and we not just physically but mentally, and getting ourselves plus counseling and those type of things as well. Those are all key components. And for me, it was going to church. It was praying each day in the morning and in the evening, just trying to keep myself focused on all yeah. of my So spirit body, was really important for you, definitely. Um, I found yeah. that the exercise, particularly exercise that got me moving forward, walking, running, those kind of things, yes. it, it kind of, there's something about forward momentum. And they use the, yes. that treatment to treat uh, sufferers of PTSD, like war veterans. And, yeah. you know, I, I would argue, Chris, that what you and I have been through is, is definitely a form of PTSD. We were there no during doubt. the last moments and had to say goodbye to our, our wives, you know, face to face and embrace. And that's trauma. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, moving forward and kind of getting back to exercise and then starting to see some of the improvements in my body where I went from, you know, 250 to 180. I mean, huge weight loss. It, yeah. it it gave me a confidence that said, you know, I, I can grow out of this and create a better version, one that she would be really a lot more proud of. Mm-hmm. And for me, it started with body. I think you had spirit of your starting point, but regardless, yeah. I think you have to work across them. And then mind as well. I found like my mind was in a very sad kind of depressed state and yeah. By going out and starting to consume, for me, it was a lot of growth mindset podcasts that kind of got me hearing other people's tragedy stories and and how they overcame great obstacles to still go and create a new version of themselves. That was really important to my process. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. I, you, um, I think, you know, I, I may have had the spiritual component, which was my that faith, that guiding light, but the physical was not there. And definitely the mind. I mean, I um, there's a lot more anxiety, you know, building up the stress, you know, from trying to balance so many things. And now, praise God for the support I had in the local community because they served us meals for months. Yeah. Months. They brought meals to my family's home, but not everybody has that Um and it was a new community too, which made it even that much more special, right? What's that? It was a new it was a new community that you were in. Yes, that yes that's right. They did. Yeah. They really did. Yep. They wrapped their arms around my, my family and and were awesome. So that was great. But yeah. yeah. But again, uh, you're right, the you know, I I'm like you t- I didn't lose as much as you did. I have more girth uh the, than you do. So. <laughs> <laughs> Looking good. I've seen the, still, before, the 20, before after picture. Yeah, 30 pounds lighter is nice. It's a nice feel. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, again, you can move and you just feel better. Um, yeah. You feel better about yourself. And I know my girls are happier with it too because they see dad being healthier. And I think they worry about being left yeah. alone. And, and so that was a really big motivator for me. And I don't know if it was for you where it's like, look, I was abusing myself through this process. I was drinking way too much. I was eating way too much. I wasn't taking care of myself for plenty of good reason. But right. there was no good reason anymore. If I didn't start taking care of myself, I was not going to be around two, three years. I, I don't think I would have lasted even till today at my at the yeah. at the rate I was going. And my girls needed me. And yeah. I, I think that you know, for nothing else, if there's motivation in that, that should keep you, you know, to say, look, I need to improve for my daughters. I need to improve for my sons in this because they need to know that I'm going to be around. Right. Right. I agree. Dad. My kids never verbalize that, but believe me, they've, I'm sure they've thought it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now, I know that leadership is a big um, driver for you. It's a passion that you have to codify leadership. What have you learned about leadership through this you know, tragic journey that, that you've been on? Well, I think I think leadership through tragedy is a um, is it, I don't know how people can do it without faith, but it really was a you know, I was steadfast in truth. Well, mm-hmm. what I kept doing was trying to I, I was trying to make no decisions based on my emotion, and so I had to have facts and and figures before me. Um, to be able to move forward with decisions. And so, for example, during the global pandemic, I was contrary to a lot of folks to where I was studying data and not seeing um, things like, um, you know, this disease was bad, you know, COVID was bad, and it was taking lives, mm-hmm. but it wasn't at the same, you know, level of other diseases. And so mm-hmm. I was going, wait, are we overreacting here? And so I kept navigating, and I was relating it all to my spouse's cancer. As you heard, it was a very rare form of cancer that she had. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking to myself, she, when I narrowed it all down, there's about a 1% chance she would ever get cancer. Mm-hmm. But that didn't matter to my family or to her. Or that you know She had it, right? It's kind of the same with COVID. But you can't make decisions on you know, all of society based off of 1% of a Mm -hmm. population Mm -hmm. that has a particular type of cancer. Um, You can't treat them all the same. I think they said there's a billion different types of cancer and there's a billion different types of treatment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that's kind of what I heard. There's not one size fits all. Yeah. And so that's the approach that I took. And it's been actually my approach throughout my whole life of leadership is that I study the data. and, And I think as leaders, you can't be overly emotional. You have to really... And people see strength in that it's not a it's not a lack of um, empathy or a lack of sympathy or any of that type of thing. It's a, a leadership takes strength and it takes okay. We got a guiding light. We got the bombs are going off all around us, and we still got to decide: do we move our troops forward? Do we hold steady, or do we send down time to retreat? <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of lives at stake. I got a lot of people. I'm trying to you know figure it out. And, um, you know, whether it's employees, you know, okay, am I going to lose this company? I've got to keep my eye on the ball. And it takes that special steadfastness of calm. And that's for me, it was a spiritual. There was that morning time, that prayer. Others, it may be that exercise. I got to go take, for me, I could never think when I run. I can't mm-hmm. do that. 
Some people can run for an hour and they have their whole speech lined out when they're done. <laughs> I, I am that way. <laughs> I meditate. Too much I, about the, with, uh, I write when I run. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can't do it. But, anyway, but, but nonetheless, that, that's what it takes. And that's that leadership through tragedy. You, you know, like, again, with everything, all the fireworks going off, you have to be, you still got to make decisions and you got to be calm. And you got to, you can't, you got to listen to the facts. And I, I tell people, don't ask me for a decision immediately. I may not be able to make it. Give me a day or so or a few mm -hmm. hours direct and contract to make sure that I'm not just reacting. Because yeah. if that happens, then that's when bad decisions start happening. And Chris, I, I love it. There's a, a scientific reason for that. And, and you articulated it well, where when you're in a stressful situation like we are post-tragedy, and dealing with the, the aftermath, our amygdala is overloaded. So our reptilian brain, the older part of our brain, those emotions are already raw, right? And if you go mm -hmm. and try to make decisions off of that, oftentimes you can't. Uh, it's a right. neuroscience bias called amygdala overload where um, you just can't make a decision one way or the other. And if you do make a decision, it's likely to be very emotional based because your logical part of the brain your um, neocortex is not enabled. So right. you've got to be able to slow down, you know, think slow and make sure that the thinking part of your brain is activated instead of the emotional part of the brain. So spot on. I always think of Winston Churchill, you know, he, he was the one who was hiding out in the bunker making decisions and, and you know, running out in front. And um, but he wasn't he he wasn't the guy standing on the front line because you know that would be stupid to have the leader out there trying to get shelled right. Mm -hmm. But he sat back and he made the decisions and he was calm through the effort yeah. while all of London is blowing up. And uh, yeah. so that's kind of a, a great example of leadership in that respect through tragedy and turmoil. So, Chris, yeah. uh, a lot of people listening have been through similar journey. What's the one piece of advice you'd give to them? Um, you know, it's going to get better. Um, you know, the every day is a little better. <laughs> uh, initially, you know, you're it's a it's a cloud of um, and almost a cloud of darkness. Um, but keep your eyes focused on the light in front of you. You know, as people want to help you, accept it. Don't turn mm -hmm. away um, because they they're they're as I as I used to tell my my late wife, when people wanted to bring meals and that during her cancer treatment, she, she go, I just don't want to be around people. And I said, you know, you need to allow them the grace that God is giving them to be able to serve you for a change. Mm -hmm. This is your time to be the servant, <laughs> to be the receptive or re yeah. re reception person of those gifts and to allow people to, to receive grace for their, for their generosity. That's, that was hard. That was hard. Because, you know, you, you're one person has it all together. Mm -hmm. Good. I'm running the company. I'm doing this. And I don't need everybody else's help. <laughs> I agree. And especially the fellowship of other men sometimes was the hard. Yes. You know, accepting the food was kind of easy until the fridge couldn't handle it anymore. And then we had another fridge stuffed. Right. But right. blessings. I mean, thank goodness the meal plans were there and everyone was there contributing. I found it harder a little bit to be able to have, you know, a, a men's group and to be able to share with brothers and 
Um, talk about that a little bit. Have, have you been able to do that? And, you know, we've created a little bit of a brotherhood um, yeah. and, and a little group. Actually, I had, but... yeah, I, had a, I had a faith group of men um, in Kansas City, and mm-hmm. I relied on them. There's six other men. And uh, even though I was in Florida and they were in Kansas City, they were walking with me through the whole tragedy. They were men of prayer and uh, providing that and support. They called frequently. They were including me in on conference calls or their meetings, you know, the best I could. And um, and it is important. You know, we men have different needs than, than women do, and women need that same support from other women. Mm-hmm. And men have that too. And so we were able. We were all the men's group. We were were all CEOs and leaders in our companies, and so it was good to be able to reflect on that. And they they were like, "Wow, how do you do that? What you know? Um, what are we doing?" And one of them's wife had cancer, so we were able to talk through some of those challenges. Um, yeah. you know that he was able to work through. So anyway, yeah, those are very important other relationships. And now, as uh, you know, as widowers, Tom, as you know. It's another distinct group. It's not a group that you or I, neither one, would love to be a part of. <laughs> no, I know. Desire I saw myself here, it's you know, 10 need. years ago, whatever, but. Yeah, it's what we need. It's what yeah. we need. It's a unique group, and it's okay. It's yeah, okay. absolutely. No, sorry. Chris yep. Ice, thank you so yeah. much. Where can find? Uh, where can people find and, and reach you? Uh, uh, you can go to my website, iceexecutivecoaching.com. Um, that's one, and uh, that that that'd probably be the best place because my email and everything is within there, and the contact information. So um, tells I don't I don't share a lot of my story there, um, but there there is a new video that's up now um, that's going to be aired on June eighth on uh, the Catholic Television EWTN, and uh, that'll be a um, um, they picked that air, that story up. It's about a six seven minute story that they're going to be sharing a little bit on my faith journey. So. Chris, that is that video is so well done. I encourage everyone to go and check it out. We'll include a link to your executive coaching website. And uh, I can't thank you enough for participating uh, with us today, Chris. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. And uh, again, God bless you. And thank you for all you're doing uh, for the kingdom right now and all these great other men who are in desire of this, uh, the need of this, uh, yeah. this, this discussion. So. Yeah, anyway, the... We can help. I know we want to. So thank you all for listening to the Grow Through Grief podcast. If you liked what you heard, please tap like. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing. Keep growing.